the reality is that some some kids are thriving in this environment. They they're engaged. And if we come with a cookie cutter approach, thinking that everyone has lost uh, an equal amount, then it's dangerous because we might actually be holding them back when they finally come in person. So I think those things are important. We have to really meet kids where they are and be in tune. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. How can districts, schools, and individual educators identify and mitigate areas of COVID-related learning loss among English learners? What is the role of professional learning in helping educators support English learners in content and language instruction as we trend toward more widespread in-person learning? How can we be prepared to meet individual students where they are, given the widespread disruption caused by the pandemic? We discuss these questions and much more with Lynn Mara Colon. Lynn has been a frequent contributor to Highest Aspirations, as well as the In This Together docuseries. She has led Prince William County's efforts to continue serving their English learners through the changes caused by the pandemic. These students represent 124 countries and 149 languages. In this conversation, Lynn and I talk about her team's efforts to address learning loss among their most vulnerable students. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with the resources you need to help support your English learners. If you'd like to learn more about Elevation, contribute to this series, or just touch base, go to elevationeducation.com or feel free to email me directly at steves at elevationeducation.com. And remember that Elevation has two L's. You can also subscribe to Highest Aspirations wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when new episodes are released. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe and take care of each other. Lindmara Cologne, welcome back. Ah, thanks for having me. Um, it's excited to be back with you. Yeah, same here. I just, um, it feels like it was just yesterday when we had you on for In This Together, but it was actually a few months ago. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. The time is going by quickly, but here we are. I know, I know. I keep um, thinking, wow, a lot has happened this year, uh, but I will say that a lot of good has happened. Um, also, we've, we've learned a lot about how to do things differently and how to serve our students uh, in a different environment. Yeah, and that's what we're going to get into today, along with this um, sort of omnipresent um, expression that everybody has come to know uh, called learning loss, which um, I think people have a different opinion on the term that's being used, but it's out there and it's being used. So that's what we're going to use as we go through it. And so I, I want to start with that. What indications do you have that learning loss might be occurring in your district? And what resources are you using to identify and mitigate the problem if it's there? Well, so there's there's a couple of things. I mean, we we have to recognize that somehow there's going to be uh, a gap. Uh, and we're currently working with was what was the gap from last school year, um, mm -hmm. right? Because what we did in March uh, up until summer uh, is 
was very different from what we're doing right now. So a lot of reflection um, and lessons learned that are in place now as we really assess the impact of simultaneous learning, uh, the instruction. Uh, I will say we have more resources now that we had in March. So we're using those to uh, really influence conversations and look at students' progress in a different uh, way. Um, you know, there, there's a lot going on from in-person tutoring for those that, that want to do that to virtual sessions when we're supporting students, but we're not using one data point really to measure if there's a gap or not. We are uh, using teacher observational data. We're using surveys from the parents, from the teachers, and also our observations uh, from going to schools virtually and in person. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard a lot about sort of the last thing that you said, which is you're not just using one data point, you're using lots. And I've heard a lot about, and it makes total sense, making sure that we're getting in touch with teachers to provide um, observational data, I think is what is what you call that. Have you been able to, sort of following up on that, have you been able to develop any kind of sort of formal system um, to get that data from teachers? Or has that been more sort of happening differently from school to school and department to department? Well, so, you know, there, there's a lot going on uh, with our teachers and we want to make sure that uh, we continue to trust the work that we're doing because they're in front of kids and they know what they need, but also create systems where we can connect with them and get that feedback. So we have uh, created surveys uh, to ask them questions about what is happening, what are you seeing? We also have division-wide systems where they input data on student growth uh, and then having conversations around how kids are doing to help us predict how they're gonna do eventually in the access testing that we're administra administering right now. Uh, but really it's a lot of, of conversations uh, and sharing what works at one school and kind of borrowing uh, from there, but not adding more because we know that, that kids are more than one data point um, and looking at a, at a student as a whole child and from different lens, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I, as somebody, as people know, taught for a long time, I do appreciate you talking about that teachers are, I can't even imagine, I've said this before, the amount of stress and the amount of work that they need to do even now as things, I don't know, maybe somewhat normalize in this strange world that we find ourselves in a year into this. Um, but putting, you know, extra work on them in the form of, even if it's to get the data that you need, you know, I, I, I imagine that's really difficult on both ends. I'm curious about, you know, for English learners, um, people listening know that, you know, monitoring forms are, are, are a big part of it. H have you, have those continued, you know, monitoring both um, students who are, who are current English learners and those who are former, is that something that continues to be sort of implemented as it traditionally has been, or have those taken on kind of a new meaning now that you need sort of extra data is that I guess what I'm asking is could that be a pathway to kind of get the information that you might be needing at this point 
So I think that's a really great question. And I know for us, our expectations have not changed. So we continue to use the same processes that we use when we were completely in person, uh, but we've modified how we submit or um, really uh, challenge each other around how we can have these conversations in a different environment. So uh, I'll give you one example. We were talking about assessments and the, the question was brought up about, is this appropriate for else? What was my opinion about it and, and what was going to be the guidance for our teachers? And my argument was that that's why it is so important for our teachers to collaborate with the general education teachers, because it is then in that forum that they can influence the conversation about whether or not an assessment is appropriate for an English learner. Uh, so I, I can share a message, but I trust our staff and in our meetings, our goal and our job is to empower them to have these conversations with teachers that probably think that one way is the only way. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, really giving them resources to sparks people's thinking, to advocate more than ever, and really have a, a seat at the table where people say, hey, we need to have the, the L educator here because they're going to help us uh, get to where we need to, to be when it comes to our students. That has been very powerful during this uh, environment because um, our teachers see the need. They, they want uh, our specialists and our ESOL teachers to be there. And more than ever, I will say, Steve, we're doing life together uh, because, I mean, we're, we're serving, we have a lot of L's in our district. We have um, over 20,000 mm -hmm. and you just cannot do this alone. So a lot of resources, uh, how to reach them, what are their unique needs, what are the parents' needs, how to connect with parents, and also how to make our leaders uh, better as well when we're trying to make sense around their growth. What, what is expected in a virtual environment um, and what are some wins? Because just because their scores are not where the rest of the students are, that does not mean that we're not making progress and that kids are winning as a result of um, our professional learning and our collaboration. Right. Yeah. And there's so many threads there, what you just said that kind of uh, go back to our conversations that we were having a few months ago, you know, uh, in the, in this together series about collaboration, um, about making sure that everybody has a seat at the table about leadership. Um, and so as much as things continue to evolve, uh, I think that your sort of philosophy and your practice hasn't changed, which I, which I know um, is a good thing. It's something that I really appreciate you bringing to the table every time we chat. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. So you, you talked about, you know, all those things and more as ways that you can kind of get the data that you need in, in an environment that may not be data rich so that you know, going back to the beginnings so that we can kind of diagnose where students are and figure out where those gaps are. Is there anything that you feel like is missing right now that you wish you had and that for whatever reason you don't? Hmm. In terms of data, just to clarify. Well, um, you know, I think... Uh, because a lot of the things we used to do in person 
the the nature of them was reporting. Uh, I think a lot of teachers feel the pressure of what what do I get from the student that I can report? And while those things are important because accountability is important, I, you know, now I'm thinking there's so many ways for me to show that a student is, is making growth. And there's many um, artifacts and evidence I can produce as autopsy data that yeah. can lead to, to the final assessment that for us is, is the access. So really understanding that uh, and being present when we are with students so that we can really see what the need is and not attack this gap or slide. I call it the, the COVID slide. I don't know if it's a thing yet. Um, the same because the reality is that some, some kids are thriving in this environment. Right. Um, they, they're engaged. And if we come with a cookie cutter approach, thinking that everyone has lost uh, an equal amount, then it's dangerous because we might actually be holding them back when they finally come in person. So I think those things are important. We have to really meet kids where they are and be in tune. Uh, and it can be overwhelming because, you know, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how well we have mastered that in Zoom, but that's why those small groups are key, uh, connecting with students, asking them for their feedback has been very important for us because kids are going to let you know uh, how they're doing, what they need, uh, will they show up for the extra session, and if they're not, uh, why? Uh, so really, really uh, getting feedback not the yearly one or at the end of the semester, but I would say for us it's weekly. We can't move forward if, if we don't know where kids really are. Hi everyone, I'm Teddy Rice, president and co-founder of Elevation. The Highest Aspirations podcast was created to keep you informed and inspired around the issues that matter most to the students you serve. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how we can help strengthen your EL program Reach out to us anytime at info at elevationeducation.com to set up a time to chat. Now, back to highest aspirations. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I have sort of two points to make here that may, and, and a question that may seem kind of contrary to one another. So bear with me. But everything you're talking about now, uh, interestingly, points to a lot of formative assessment, a lot of getting feedback from students and teachers um, and, and, and gathering data in that way that can be a little bit more qualitative than quantitative in some ways. But it sounds like, you know, from your perspective, it's just as important, if maybe if not even more important now. At the same time, we are in a season right now, which <laughs> I think all, you know, EL professionals know is sort of testing season. For you, you mentioned access. Um, what this is the part that's kind of contrary to what I talked about. What is happening um, in, in, in Prince William right now with access? Are, are students taking access tests? And if so, are they doing it in person? Or are they doing it online? How's that working? No, we're doing it in person. We are assessing students in person. Uh, early on, we gathered a task force 
and really share the expectations about the assessment having to be in person and listening uh, to different ways that we could administer uh, the test. Do we know that some students are not gonna be in, in person because you know their, their parents feel as if not we're not doing it now? Yes, but then again, we continue to teach and just because we're assessing does not mean that instruction has stopped because you and I know assessment is one piece, but if we don't provide services with integrity, then the gap can widen. So um, we, we take that into consideration when we're scheduling the assessment for a lot of the schools, Monday is a planning day for our teachers. So we are using that day to assess uh, some of the students that have decided to be uh, virtual, but we're doing both. We're assessing and we are teaching because every minute matters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm tempted to go down the access road right now, but you have your I'm not going to because <laughs> because I think we can talk about it another time. So I just I just I guess I wanted you know that was on my mind, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steer clear that okay. for the moment. Um so I you know, obviously when we're talking about English learners, which is always the crux of our conversations here, um we're 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 dealing with both content and language learning um, and the challenges associated with both of them. And you know, I think the gold standard of that is to fuse those, uh, to fuse language together with content instruction. Um, but but is that is that too idealistic at, at this point? Can that even happen realistically? Has it happened with you? And, and what ingredients need to be in place for that to happen under the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Uh, I think it can happen. I mean, if, if you want it to happen, you'll make it a priority. I will say that our instructional team uh, has been relentless when it comes to that. They have created units and resources for teachers so that they have what they need to do both. And it has also been part of the professional learning and this expectation that I always say we will do max lows, but we will also do blooms at the mm -hmm. same time mm -hmm. because our kids need both. So that's where the curriculum piece comes in and the professional learning and the support that we're providing teachers. And then we collaborate also with student services to make sure that the mental health piece um, is there because we recognize that both are extremely important, um, especially for our kids, right? If, if you don't have the language, then you can't access uh, the rest of things, uh, we can, which can lead to, you know, continue to be in poverty, not having access uh, to things that can get you uh, to, to a better place later on. So we have a lot of, of resources that we've put out in uh, from our central office standpoint has been removing roadblocks so that teachers can use those to to teach and feel comfortable doing so and going back to the feedback really asking uh, did we get something wrong but did you wish there was something uh, better when you try to execute the lesson or support kids because the kids will let you know right <laughs> if it worked or not what did you see our instructional team is also 
and uh, we call them CLTs, but the PLC meetings, they're there and they're just listening uh, as part of the feedback loop so that we can come back and make adjustments as, as needed. Yeah. So you just got, not surprisingly, actually, you just kind of got into the next question I was going to ask, you know, I asked originally about content and language challenges and you said, yes, it is possible to do that. And how are we doing that? Well, through professional learning uh, opportunities. And that's something that we discussed in depth uh, during in this together docuseries. I wasn't surprised that you, um, that you talked about that. And I think you got, you maybe sort of were um, alluding to this a little bit, or perhaps it was just a part of what you were saying, but I want to make sure that I understand when you're planning um, th- that, that professional learning, you know, again, what we're talking about is really making sure that those English learners have, have access to high quality instruction, for both language and content. Are you prioritizing PD for, for classroom teachers as well to make them more effective in supporting English learners? Or, is, or are you sort of looking at your EL team to then kind of disperse that information among teachers. Does that question make sense the way that I framed it? It does, it does. Um, I think it's important to understand that one of the expectations in Prince William County is that every educator uh, and administrator is required to have 45 hours within three years of um, L professional learning. Uh, We have a lot of English learners, Uh, you, you can't, be in a school and not be trained to serve them. So that helps, um, uh, you know, in some sense, because there's an expectation that you're going to have training. But we also have crafted training that's specific uh, for elementary, secondary, gen ed teachers. Then we have training specific for for L teachers. And then we have the training for administrators as well, so that we can, how I call, I call it, train the eye. Um, so when they go to classrooms and even now in a virtual environment, they can see uh, and sense, okay, these are the best practices that should be in place. So not necessarily how do you deliver this lesson, but how do you know this is a quality lesson Uh, that's differentiated, that scaffolds are in place for L's. Uh, So we have different different tiers. uh, We have for different content. Uh, Yes, and, you know, everyone has something that will meet their specific, the the specific needs of their role. Right. Yeah, that's what I figured your your answer would be. And I think it is an advantage for a variety of, 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 of reasons to have you know, a district with so many English learners, certainly the, the um, assets and the diversity that they bring being number one. Um, but then, you know, also having uh, the teachers know that it's something that they need and it's unavoidable that they're going to be working with, with these students must make it a little bit easier to, to um, sort of justify that professional learning. And I hate to use that expression because it sounds like it comes from a deficit approach, but I do know just realistically, there are districts out there where, you know, there's not a lot of English learners. They will have them eventually, I'm guessing. But, um, you know, teachers kind of uh, question the why when it's not something that they necessarily need to um, deal with on a day-to-day basis or have the advantage of having, I should say, on a day-to-day basis. See, I think that it, you know, my argument is we have to be proactive. Yep. And uh, I never want to be in a position where the population changes and I'm not equipped to serve them because the question then would be, 
are you still the best candidate for your job? Uh, because we just can't say, well, you know, the population changed and what are we going to do? Well, we have to change as well with the students and we need to have the tools to serve them because they cannot wait. So in that sense, we are trying to be proactive by preparing educators to, to serve students, whether they have a lot or not, because we have some schools that might have 300 L's and you might have a school that has uh, 20, but in the end, they understand what it is to be a culturally responsive teacher, what it is to serve um, a, a student that, that needs um, differentiation, that needs uh, unique support, and then also set this expectation that we just can't say, well, what am I supposed to do? Because in the end, the response is going to be, we're going to teach them, right. we're going to support them, and they're going to be welcome. Uh, yeah. we, are, we are not sending them anywhere else. Uh, we are going to welcome the student and we are going to give 100%. Yeah, I like what you're saying, uh, particularly about being proactive. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many districts I, you know, when I was training with Elevation, I would walk into districts and, and quite frankly, I'll speak transparently and plainly, they would, you know, they would um, purchase Elevation's products because they felt that they needed some support in make sure, making sure that they were compliant and making sure, you know, that they were uh, in a place where they could support their English learners. Um, but they didn't have uh, the strategies in place to make that happen or the mindset, which I think is even more important to make that happen. And so a large part of, you know, of my role doing that was to sort of change mindsets. Um, because if you can't, if you can't change those mindsets while the populations are changing and your school district is changing, then you're going to have a problem and you're going to become obsolete in your practice, which um, I don't think anybody uh, necessarily wants. So that's a really good point that you brought up. No, And Steve, I I mean, if we, if, if we look at the data and the trends, we see that L's are one of the fastest growing populations. And if that is not a compelling argument for any school district to understand this is coming, this is changing, then I don't know what would be, because if anything, we continue to welcome students every day. And, and I see the changes across the nation. So I think it's important. We have to pay attention and we have to equip our teachers uh, to, to serve our students. Yeah. And it comes back to sort of the conversation that we've been having, which is about that gap or that learning loss or whatever you want to call it, you know, to sort of mitigate that. I want to get, I want to, before we go here, I want to get a little bit more specific. uh, And then I want to ask you a little bit about what you think the future is like. So um, a lot of the early research around what people are calling this learning loss piece uh, emphasizes um, issues in particularly in STEM classes and really specifically in math. I mean, that's what I've seen at the beginning, which I suppose is not surprising given uh, challenges and difficulties with math across the board. But what are some of the challenges your teachers over this last year have faced in those STEM and math courses for English learners? Um, and how have, how have they gone about confronting them? I realize this is a little bit out of your sort of wheelhouse, but I'd love to get your perspective on it. And that's a that's a great question. And initially, I had seen the research uh, 
come across with math and people would be very concerned about reading. And I said, hmm, this is very interesting because um, I think it was NEAWA that uh, said something about math, but uh, we do a lot with manipulatives and we do a lot of hands-on to teach students um, specifically at the elementary level, number sense um, and all those strands. So initially I could see how it was a little bit of a challenging you know, uh, subject because we were trying to get those things to students' homes. Um, I think our schools did a great job just pulling everything together and making little bags and, and parents came and, and picked up those supplies so that while we were uh, doing simultaneous and virtual instruction, they would have the same things that the teachers um, had. And, you know, then again, this is something, you know, when you talk about STEM, this is something new that we are trying to figure out and for some subjects has been easier uh, than others. I have seen in our district um, CTE, we have students in person, um, career and tech, and they're doing well. We have robotics that's uh, meeting virtually and they oh, wow. have been very successful. So for me, it has been key to connect with people who who are experts in this field and have been thinking outside of the box because they want kids to continue to stay engaged and not lose as a result. So uh, I have seen people do wonderful uh, things and, and we gather data and yes, there, there might be some loss, but I will say that, that our teachers are engaged and, and really researching what other districts are doing and implementing those strategies. Yeah, I've had some great conversations over the last month or so with math teachers and math experts about, you know, what they're doing. And it's actually really impressive what what they're able to do with a little bit of creativity and some tools. You mentioned manipulatives, which tends to be the thing that people worry most about because how do you do that in a remote environment? But a lot of a lot of people are doing it. Um and it granted, it's, it's more challenging, but it can also be in some ways more engaging um, for the kids when they have that device in front of them to kind of guide them. Um, it brings up issues of screen time and how much you use there. And But there's also a lot of people that are sort of using that screen. Uh, Katie Gardner, who's a teacher in, in Rowan Salisbury, an ELL teacher for elementary, um, called, called sc- using screens as a lifeline. And her her idea with that is that you, you know, you send out, she's in a hybrid environment. So she sends information out via the iPads, the one-to-one iPads that, that her kiddos have. But her goal uh, in, in many of those um, activities is to relay the information that she needs her students. And many of them are newcomers and, and um, you know, have never held, even held a pencil before. So relay that information and then have them go do something else in their home that uh, reflects what they're trying to learn. So using manipulatives is one of those things. And there's this, there's this fear of, I think, letting go of, of the screen, which is the connection or the tether to the classroom. But if it's more of a lifeline that you use to kind of relay information and the student can use those accessibility tools in there, I've seen some success with that. So that's, that's really inspiring to see. 
I will say that even with adults, um, Steve, and something that that we've talked about is assessing how the lesson and the day uh, looks like, because what you were just describing is amazing. And then what can I let go that I'm requiring screen time to make this happen so that it's interactive and um, students are in and out of the screen. I I touched on adults because I know that sometimes I sit in some professional learning that is just one-sided. And and yes, they have some tools where you can interact, but I think that's when people, you know, get on the phone or start checking the email. And then I've sat in other uh, sessions where the level of engagement is so high that you just don't have time. They have built-in breaks. They have you in breakout sessions and they have you uh, get something. I wasn't one when they had me get a, a picture or a memento from my house uh, to share with my breakout. Uh, so, you know, I, it was like a built-in break. And I said, this is, this is great. So um, really reflecting our learning and then what are we doing for the students and letting go of, I have to see you mm-hmm. or you have to be there in the Zoom for me to check the box of you were engaged, you were you were present. Right. Yeah. And so much of it that like what you mentioned is not a difficult thing to do, getting up and getting a memento, but it's just that change in mindset, which, which we all have trouble. And um, that's not the kid's fault. Right, so exactly. when, when we are reflecting, we have to ask this question, is it a student issue or is it an adult issue? Right. Yep, absolutely. All right. One more question, Lynn. If we've asked, I've asked you versions of this question before, but that was months ago and maybe things have changed. Um, what, what is your vision of, of going back to, we'll call it normal, even though I hope it's better than what normal was, but what's your vision of going back um, given all that we've discussed right now? You know, um, I am reassessing uh, meetings uh, because (laughs) I I have seen that we probably had a lot of in-person meetings that, uh, you know, now I spend more time with people, but less time. I feel more connected, uh, if that makes sense. And then are we preparing ourselves to hear students say, I really like this environment. Uh, I like to learn online. And and what do we have that we can offer them? Uh, Because once we go in person, uh, they're going to let us know. And again, the kids are the driver. And some of them are, are thriving. Some of them feel like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm making progress in this environment. So again, you know, creating content, uh, our professional learning, uh, and, and what are some things that we're going to keep and what are some things that we're going to let uh, go and listening more uh, to, to kids when it comes to, to this. I love it. Are we preparing ourselves to for, for our students to say, I like to learn this way? I'm paraphrasing what you said. You said it more eloquently than I did. But I think that's really important because from the top to from the top, we're hearing now we gotta get kids back in school. But what about those ones who are thriving in this environment? And it, it's it's another example of what you brought up. You can compare it to adults too, because I think about 
our workspace at Elevation, there's many, many people who are saying, I don't ever want or need to go back to the office. There are others who are saying, man, I can't wait to get back. Different circumstances, right? But what works? What's going to be most functional for the student uh, or for the professional in their particular environment? So I think that's a really, really good thing to be thinking about now. And I I will say this. um, I know we're closing, but will I show up the same or am I coming as a better person as a result of this pandemic? Uh, it's something that I, I keep, I have a sticky note. Uh, I cannot come back in person the same. What is the lesson? And I, I need to be able to articulate this because so much has happened that who am, who am I as an educator? Have I, how have I grown as a result uh, of this, and there's a lot of positive. It's been difficult, extremely challenging. I I would not argue that, but I like I said, I'm closer to my people. I have seen my folks work in a way that I had not seen before. Not that they were not working hard, uh, and I have seen amazing work from our teachers. Uh, and I, I've learned to say, I don't know how to do this and find out someone that uh, has made me better as a result of our collaboration. So how are we going to show up? Uh, it's going to be as important as how much grow kids are, are making. Yeah, great point. Kind of the counterpoint to what we talked about today, the learning loss, but then the learning gains, I guess, is a good way to put it at the end of the day. You know, where are we at, at the end of that? Well, Lynn, I, I always appreciate your perspective and uh, appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy. Um, hopefully this conversation was helpful to others who are who are dealing with the, with the same thing and um, wish you the best of luck. I'm sure we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thank you. It's always nice to be here. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.